Did you say awkward? It's weird when people stand up and applaud, isn't it? This doesn't quite feel right, does it? In our culture, it seems so strange to honor and to receive honor. It's really difficult sometimes. Amen? And I pray that God changes that. Father, I thank you for the people of God, for their love towards us. But Father God, uh, we're just all in this together, God, to honor and love you. But Father, thank you for the honor and thank you for the love from the people. Lord, this congregation has been so good to us and my family. Father, I thank you that this congregation does not put unrealistic expectations on me or my wife. But Lord, they let us be who we are in you. And so, Father, bless them for it. And Father, we just thank you for just your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, would you be with us today as we treat, just really turn that honor even towards you today? Because, Lord, we want to stand, and we have stood in ovation to you as we've glorified you today. Today, God, we want to honor you through your word as well. We do not want to take it as common, just like we don't want to take leadership as common. But Father, we want to honor that which you honor. And so, Lord, today, as we honor your word, I'm just asking for your anointing and your presence on it, that it would, Lord, not invade our cranial capacity, but, it, Lord, it would invade our hearts, and it would change us on the inside. May you be glorified, and, Lord, I thank you for the people of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 We can release Flip 180 and... Uh, Camp Grizzly, or not Camp Grizzly, Flip 180, that's the only one. I've seen some young ones out there for a second, thought. Thank you guys for that gift of love. And I know as leaders we are trying to grow in our love and our honor towards you as well. And uh, I think that uh, the Lord set us up today, even in the message that I'm going to share. I'm really glad that I didn't share it last week because, to be honest with you, if I'd have shared it last week, I would have been giving you a lot of good information, <laughs> uh, but there probably wouldn't have been the impartation because it wasn't in my heart. And so as I've been fasting this week um, for some breakthrough in some people's lives, um, as I've been doing that, the Lord's been downloading some things in my heart and showing me some things that I need to see. And so the message that I would have shared last week is going to come out different today. And I pray it blesses you, and I pray it's not an entertainment, but I pray it is uh, truly the word of our living God, just transforming us. So, Father, we believe for that. Would you believe that for, with me? Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. You know, over the last six or eight weeks, we've been talking about discipleship, and we've talked about the cost of discipleship, and there is a true cost to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen on that? And in Matthew 28, 19, it says, um, Therefore, go into all the earth. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And so we've been talking about this discipleship, this thing of making disciples. And how we are all called. The church, the purpose of the church 
is to make disciples. And we've been talking about that and that there is a cost to that making disciples. It requires our time. It requires all kinds of things. And um, as we go on this journey, I, I know that the Spirit of God is, is with us. And uh, I even hear other ministers and pastors talking about discipleship. It's kind of a buzzword. It seems like there's something going on in the body of Christ about, with it. And so over the last several weeks, we've talked about how um, we're called to discipleship. You know, I don't want to uh, um, make it all about discipleship because it is about loving God. I mean, we're to love Jesus. We're to be passionate, aggressive lovers of God. But in that passion and in that, that love for God and that love for Christ, it compels us to do something. It compels us to action. It, 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 it creates in us this pressure. And the Lord has been dealing with us, and he's been building pressure. And some of that pressure has come from me. Some of that pressure has come from the Holy Spirit. But God uses people to develop pressure, to put pressure on us, to, to move us somewhere. Amen? And so we can either resist that pressure and just say, oh, they're trying to control me. Or we can surrender to it and say, okay, God, what are you trying to do inside of me? And so God has been putting pressure on me all week. And that pressure has been pushing something and it's been, it's been making something on the inside of me. And I want to take this message and I really pray today that, that God really puts it in our hearts. You know, we've been talking about Matthew 4.19. We've been using Matthew 4.19 as a, um, uh, um, the passage to actually define what a disciple is. We've been talking about what is a disciple because you guys can't become something that you don't know what it's supposed to be. I mean, if you're supposed to be a basketball player, you got to know what a basketball player does, right? If you're going to be an engineer, you got to know what an engineer does before you become one. Is that true? And so in life, every aspect of our life, if you're going to go to college for something, you're going to college to be something, right? And so you learn and you, you have to discover what that is, and then you become that through education, through discipleship, through all that kind of stuff. That's just a way of life, is it not? And so we've tried to, to use the Word of God to begin to explain what a disciple is, what a disciple looks like. And so we've used this passage, if we can put it up there, out of Matthew 4.19 as our, de our, our definition, if we could, of, no, 4.19. My PowerPoint, if you'll just put my PowerPoint up, yeah, here we go. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said this, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We've been using this scripture to simplify what does a disciple look like. And we've talked about two definitions of a disciple is one who follows. Come follow me. Jesus invited us to come follow. And with following, he's in the lead. And guess who is following? We are following him. We come to this place in our head where we say, you know what? I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do it his way, not my way. I'm going to let him be the driver. I'm going to be the passenger, right? We have to make that head acknowledgement. 
And so we've talked about how a, a disciple, if you call yourself a disciple, if you want to be a disciple, if you're wanting to attain to being a disciple, a disciple is one who follows, okay? A disciple is one who is being changed. Jesus said, he offered this to him, he says, and I will make you. Jesus is about making people into something, <laughs> He is about changing our lives. <laughs> he took ordinary men and he made them extraordinary. He took ordinary men who were fishermen, who were tax collectors, and he turned their lives around in three years as he discipled them. He literally made them an offer, let me change you, and they allowed him to change them. So we talked about how a disciple is one who follows and a disciple is one who is changing. They're allowing Christ to change them. And this is what God has been doing in us and I have seen this so clearly over the last several weeks as God is changing us. He is allowing trials to conform us to his image. He's allowing us to change. Anybody been enjoying the change process? Uh, Sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's glorious. I was talking to my son, Joel, on the phone this week, and he was going through a real tough trial. And um, he, uh, he, he, it's a neat to see God changing him. But the trial was very painful for him. But by the next morning, he was like, oh, it's like it never happened, Dad. The Lord downloaded joy, he downloaded peace, and he let me know that it's all under control. It's all okay, and it's going to be okay. And I was like, shoo, I wanted to go rescue, I wanted to go drive to Michigan and say, hey, buddy, let me take care of this problem for you, buddy. Anybody done that? Yeah. And Karen and I were going, nope, that's not what the Lord wants to do. Holy Spirit, go get him. And through that painful trial, glory came. Can anybody else been going through any of that in their lives? Well, that's called the I will make you stage. I will make you into something stage. And God changes our character and the way we think to make us extraordinary men and women of God. And it is sometimes painful, but it is ultimately glorious. And he molds us and makes us. I know the passage that you guys know in the scripture, it talks about how he's the potter and we're the clay. <laughs> Mold me and make me. Sometimes our clay is pretty hard and brittle. And he has to crush it and kind of massage it to get that softening back. And I know that that's what he's doing in our hearts. But the change does not stop here. Can I have an amen? The final part of transformation of this passage is not only is it that disciples follow, not is it only that disciples allow Jesus to change them, but there's an ultimate purpose in why he does what he does. And he says, I want to make you into fishers of men. And so the third part of the definition I want to go in today, and I'm going to go into part of my life even this last couple of weeks, to help us get a revelation of what the Lord wants. And I believe God's going to download some good stuff. So this third part of the definition today I want to talk about is this definition of a disciple is one who is about the mission of God. A disciple engages and he participates with the Lord in making fishers of men. I know Mike shared a message a couple weeks ago. I think he put some fishing poles up here, and I heard it was a really good message. I was gone sharing in another church, and I heard that was really good. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. 
He took, Jesus took these ordinary men who were normally men who fished for fish, and he now began to change them, and he began to make them into fishers of men. Here's what I believe. If you're spending any time with Jesus at all, if the Holy Spirit is inside of you at all, you can't help but want to do what Jesus wants you to do. If you are pursuing the master, if you're worshiping him, if you're spending any time with him at all, it changes you and it makes you, uh, it makes you want what he wants. It does. It's just a byproduct. We know Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. They just happen. They, they, take, they, they just happen. God takes care of your needs. He takes care of all that kind of stuff. If you'll just first seek the kingdom of God. And we're kingdom seekers, aren't we? But you can't help but care about what God cares about. I, I am being changed. And, here's some, and I'll get in a, a little rabbit tail and then I'll bring it back. I have been very busy about what God cares about, but sometimes my motivation of what I do is not right. Sometimes I care for people only because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> but the Lord wants to change this thing inside of us where we are compelled by love. <laughs> that we are compelled by love. And so I'm hoping to get into that today. Are you guys wanting to get into that day? Yep. I want to care about what God cares about. I know I shared several weeks ago about he who does the will. You know, if you're my disciple, you will do what I, do, you will do my will. And I broke that word will down. And it literally means that you are, uh, you, you, you will be excited about what he's excited about, basically. And so in Matthew 6, I want to read this passage, and I want us to all just slow down and honor the Word of God here. The Bible says in Matthew 6, it says, Do not store up for yourselves. Everybody say yourselves. yourselves. Treasures on this earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as I meditated on this passage this week and last week and have for several weeks, I, I was asking the Lord, you know, Lord, I see America real busy about storing up treasures for themselves. It's funny, I, years and years ago, I had somebody that I knew in my life, and they had bought a brand new Lincoln Continental. And it was maroon. It was one of the prettiest cars back 25 or 30 years ago. And then I saw the granddaughter driving it just the other day, and it looked like a piece of crap. <laughs> it was rusting. The back molding part was wobbling. And that Lincoln no longer had its prestigious appearance. It was still a Lincoln. <laughs> but it had no value any longer. And I thought in my own life, you know, I, it's funny. I could see some guys pass me when I'm in our Prius. <laughs> go, that's a big guy for a Prius. <laughs> that's a girl car, baby, or whatever. 
But you know, a nice big car doesn't really impress me anymore. But man, one that gets 51.5 miles per gallon, man, that impresses me. When I can go to Joel for 20 bucks in gas and come back for 20 bucks, that impresses me. <laughs> but it's amazing how my desires are changing. I have a really nice house, praise God, the Lord blessed it, but it really doesn't have near the hold or the desire that it used to have in my life. It probably has more of a, a th- it's, it's my wife's nest. It means a lot to her, you know. But even that, I know, is even changing in her and me. It's like, it's drywall. You know? I go by the old Ingersoll place, you know, and the, the, the mansions. And if they're not taken care of, guess what they look like? Just a bunch of rubble. King's palaces. They all begin to corrode and fade. You know? That purse that your wife spent $150 for at one day will be rags, right? (laughs) Store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't do that. Or moth and rust. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so I was just beginning to just meditate on that. Lord, what are the treasures in heaven? What do you guys think the treasures are in heaven? Gold? Gold? Hmm? Souls, not gold? Okay. You know, I will not take anything there. The only thing that will be there are you guys. Now, I know Jesus is to be my treasure, but the treasures that I'm to store up I began to say, and I know this is, this is a little twist to the scripture, but the treasures that I want to take to heaven or to store up there are really people. I want to give Jesus the inheritance that he deserves. And so I wonder... What kind of treasure are we really storing up? Because we're spending so much time with our lives earning money for the moth and the rust-destroying stuff. And we're not spending our time and our money on the eternal stuff of the treasures in heaven. Is that not fair to say? Absolutely. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you might know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so God is trying to renew our mind to what's important to him. And here's what I want to say. This is not to beat you up, to shame you, to guilt you. It is a process that we're all on. And each of us are on a different wavelength or a different part of that process, and we're moving towards it. And God's trying to apply a little pressure in our lives to make us see, wow, I've been so focused on the treasure of this earth rather than the treasures of heaven. That's why I love how we use the word treasure hunt when we go to do treasure hunts around here, right? We go out in the community, what are we looking for? We're looking for that treasure. We're looking for that person that God's highlighting, the little lights above them and saying, ooh, that's the one, that one with that blue shirt. That one that has the the green hair. 
They're the treasure. And so where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Anybody want to change where your heart's at? I know I do. And that's what he's been working on me this week as we get into this. So let's go to another passage. Jesus came to earth to rescue that which meant everything to him. And I want to begin to go into the Word of God. And I want, when we read this passage, this is the most familiar passage there is in probably the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, don't just make it common. This passage really shows you what's important to God. This is where God's treasure is. Are you guys with that? Okay, good. Praise the Lord. John 3, 16. We know it, right? For God so loved the people of this world. I think even the word world is not quite personal enough. I believe God so loved the people of this world so much that he gave his one and only son for them, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send that son, the glorious one, into the world or to the people to condemn the people but to save the people through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This culture of love, for God so loved. (laughs) Everybody close your eyes. (laughs) For God so loved you. Oh, God, take the blinders off of our eyes. Let us see how much you love us. Let us see that you were compelled by love, Jesus. (laughs) Mm. Father, I pray that we would see how much you love the people of this world. And that, God, you would truly, in our own hearts, help us to start seeing those people around us through those eyes of love and not through the eyes of this world. Mm. So, Lord, I ask, even in the finishing of this message, through this time, God, that you would begin to do a download in our hearts in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I would love to get into that passage at some point in time. You know, so many people, you know, we've talked about how a true disciple moves from believing to following. And this word believe here, it is a power. If you ever do a, stu- a word study on that, it's a really good study because we've really, we've really, we've really, <laughs> come on, get it out of here. We've made believing only con- confessing and making it a, uh, a prayer. And that word believing means much more than what the body of Christ has made it out to be. And so that's why I believe there's many in the body of Christ who are not even saved and born again because they really have not fully believed in the Son of the living God. But that's a whole other message. But if you're struggling in your walk and you don't seem to be following and you don't seem to be changing, if you're not following and you're not changing, you're not a disciple. It's probably because you've messed up on what believing means. And that's a whole other message. So if you're in that category, I want to talk to you. Because believing is not just quoting a prayer. So, if you're here in that state and you're not following Christ, 
you're not doing what he does and he's not changing you on the inside, there is a problem in Houston. And I want to introduce you to the one and the glorious one because when he comes in, you can't help but change. Can I have a witness on that? (laughs) And if you don't think it's possible, look at this bonehead. If I showed you my past and I show you as I is today, it's different. And it's not because I work hard and I'm disciplined. It's because something happened on the inside of me. Amen. Amen. That's a good word. So, for God so loved the world, people like you and me that we're around every day, he loves, right? And there's and, and, and the people around us, if we're going to be disciples who are about the mission of the Lord, we have to get this revelation of love and how much he loves them because then we start to look around and we start to see the people around us with different eyes. We start to see them that they're not saved. We start to see that there's really only two types of people. There's one type who is not born again, who is not saved. They've not made Jesus Savior and Lord, and there's the haves and the haves nots. <laughs> and so everyone we come in contact, we, if we really believe this, then everybody we see, we start to see them differently. And when we believe this reality, it changes the way we think, pray, and even spend our time and our money. We begin to understand that there are only two categories of people, the saved and the unsaved. Now, what I want to do is I want to go into 2 Corinthians with us on a passage. And this is just, if I'm going to give you homework today, it would be take this passage and read it and reread it and then read it again and then ask God to God, would you change my heart? Would you begin to show me what you're trying to show in this? This passage for me when it comes to um, the commission and the purpose of why we exist, <laughs> I think this passage here sums it up very, very well. And so I'm going to explain some things as we go in here. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says, He died for all. Everybody say all. all. That those who live, who are the ones that live? So he died for all the world, everyone around us, so that we who live, us, should not live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So clearly Paul says, hey man, he's clarifying this. We who are alive, we who, have, who know Christ, that we should not live for ourselves, but we should live for him. <laughs> and so let's get into this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now, I, that's a whole other message that I'm gonna, I, I would have to go into what that means. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Is that present or past tense? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The the new creation has come. It is here. It is present. It's an already accomplished thing. So when you give your heart to Christ, what the work of Christ, you are a new creation. Stamped, new believer, new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. Everybody say here. Are you here today? Do you love Jesus? 
The new creation is here. It's living inside of me. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of work that has to be done, but it is present here and my spirit man, again, it goes back to, we are two, we're, we're more than two parts, but there is spirit, I'm spirit and I'm soul. Many people get this whole thing mixed up. They don't understand the difference between your spirit and your soul. When you get born again, Alex, your spirit man came alive. Amen. The new creation, it is alive and well. It can never die. Amen. My soul that's why so many people don't believe they're born again. Because my soul, which makes up my mind, my will, and my emotions, it is jacked to the hill. Every one of us come from dysfunctional families. Every one of us have anger, bitterness, all kinds of stuff deep inside of us from our childhood where mom and dad messed us up. Brothers and sisters, the world, abuse, all kinds of stuff has taken place in our mind. My will, my power to choose, and my emotions. Does anybody have jacked emotions? Are you born again? Why are your emotions still jacked? Because the Bible says the soul must be renewed. The spirit man is born again. It comes alive in Christ when we say yes to Jesus and we invite him to come and reside and take over. Now the process of working out your salvation now starts to happen. And the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling as you, you go towards renewing your mind, your will, and your emotions. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. soul. My soul gets restored. My mind gets renewed. My will gets conformed. And we're all in the process of conforming our wills to the will of God. Say, no, not my way, his way. And that is a process. And so when I fail and I fall short of the glory of God and my will chooses to do something disobedient, my soul, my will chooses to do something that is not according to God's will, like adultery, drugs, all kinds of garbage, then I say, well, I must not be saved. Why try? I quit. But the truth is, the new man, the new creation has been born again in Christ. And I must conform my, my will. That's why Paul says I must beat my body and make it a slave. He was talking about that soul renewal. I wasn't planning on going there, but that was free. So many people don't think they're born again because they mess up. Yeah, we mess up. And the Bible says this. If you, if you mess up, confess your sins to Christ, and he is faithful to forgive you of all that garbage. And a righteous man falls, he gets back up. <laughs> so if you're down, guess what you need to do? Get up. Get up. <laughs> Keep fighting. Say, no, Satan, you can't have me. I'm going to have my mind, my will, and my emotions. They're going to be transformed by the glory of God. And I will make myself do what the Word of God says, even if I don't feel like it. Sometimes you just got to obey, even if it doesn't feel good. No, always you got to obey whether it feels good or not. And I'm going to get into that because that's the process and change what God's been doing in my heart. So this is a powerful passage. The old has gone, the new is here. And then he goes on and he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ <laughs> and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. Not counting people's sins against them. Makes me want to shout, come on now, shout. (laughs) Celebrate good times, come on. Mm -hmm. My sins are not counted against me because of Christ. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through you. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, I was a banker. Does anybody realize that the word reconcile is an accounting term? I reconcile my bank statement every month. A lot of you don't, and you should. I was in banking, and a lot of people bounced a lot of checks because they didn't reconcile their account. But that's a whole other message. (laughs) But every month when my bank statement comes in, I check every check, I check every deposit, and I make sure the ledger is right, and I balance it because my wife couldn't do it. No, just kidding. (laughs) And we make sure that the debits and the credits Equal. Credit card statement. So many people don't check off their receipts, and you are getting ripped off, but you don't realize it because there are times where you get charged for things you didn't charge, and so you're losing money. But that's okay if you want to do that, lose money. But you should check off your receipts with your bank statement. Now, I love my daughter. She's not here, thank God, because she has always told me, if you ever use me, you better ask me if I'm there. So she's not here. She's getting really good at this. She now has a checking account, debit card, and she has learned the process. When the statement comes in, I reconcile the receipts, and I put them where they're supposed to be, and I make sure everything balances. Good to go, Rebecca. Of course, she, now in college, has misplaced a few receipts. Any college lovers out there? And she had to go, hmm, did I make that purchase or not? But here's the deal. Reconciliation. When you're reconciling something, you're bringing it to balance. You're bringing it to somewhere, to making sure that it's correct. This ministry of reconciliation, this is what, it is an accounting term, and this is what it means. To reconcile means to bring into harmony or into agreement. It means to settle accounts. (laughs) Remember that, to settle accounts. So Jesus is restoring us to his communion with the Father. And he is restoring us. He's settling your account for you and making you balance because now you're restored to relationship with the Father because of the Son. And so you've been reconciled. Your account is made clear and balanced in harmony and agreement with God because of what Christ has done for you and you've received it. Now here's the good news. (laughs) You have been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us. We are imploring people, the lost, oh, please be reconciled to God. Be brought back in communion to him and with him. But here's the problem in America. In America, the body of Christ believes it's only the minister of the gospel, the preacher, the paid professional who does it. Or it's just the evangelist's job. Mike, just go get them, say, bring them in here, we'll clean them up. Are you guys tracking with me? When we know and follow Christ, we look at people differently. We don't judge them. Instead, we care for them and reach out to them in love and mercy. Amen? We begin to speak, act, and serve as Jesus did. We long to see unbelievers reconciled to him through Jesus. And we begin to partner with him. The part of the definition of a disciple is you are, if you're a disciple, you have to be involved in his mission. To reconcile people to himself because he loves them so much. Now here's where, my, here's where the story gets. We have to start giving our hands and our feet, our talents, our gifts, our money. We have to give that stuff to the Lord and say, God, it's yours. And we got to start being about the mission of the Lord. Here's what I want to show you guys. This is where the message changed from last week. Look at those girls. I want you to look. Those girls are being traded for sex in Cambodia. Virgin, their virginity is paid for. I want you to look at what Jesus loves. Not for sale. This is the sex trade. I want you to realize that the Jesus loves people and they have faces look at her eyes mozambique orphanage is she not precious and all we do is send a little money to it i want you to feel the conviction of the spirit of god on what is important to jesus people are important to jesus Hear me, people are important to Jesus. Hear me, people are important to Jesus. That is his mission. James 2.27 says, true religion that is undefiled is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Isn't her eyes beautiful? Rachel shared a message Many months ago, Rachel Platt's about Compassion International. Look at all those faces. Those precious children are precious in his sight. They're people. Clean water in Africa. There's ministries going to Africa to give clean water to Africa. I just want you to see the people's faces. I saw one, and when the water started coming out of them, they were getting down in their hands, and they were drinking this water. But what they used to get their water from was a dirty stream. Those are precious in the sight of God. Can I say have an amen on that? Amen. Now, here's where it hits home for me. <laughs> I 
As I was praying and fasting this week, and God jacking with my heart. Does anybody God ever have jack with your heart? Two years ago at Pastor's Appreciation, you, you blessed us with a trip to Grand Cayman. <laughs> Amazing trip. And on that trip, we went in April, my wife and I. And when we were down there, as a matter of fact, the Lord prophesied that you guys were to send us and that I would come back a changed man. Do you guys remember that? Well, the change is still I'm a little slow. I'm an S personality. The change is still taking place. <laughs> but when we were down there and Karen and I were praying and we were just enjoying the presence of the Lord so wonderfully down there, the Lord convicted my heart and he said, Eric, he said, I want you to become a big brother to big brothers and big sisters. I want you to take a boy and I want you to pour your life into him. And I said, okay. Felt it clearly felt it strongly. I got home. About a month went by. I contacted big brothers and big sisters, and I started the process. And uh, I now have a little brother. His name's Jacob. <laughs> Some of you have seen him. He was at the, uh, at the Simmons' house when we did the um, um, connect groups getting together for the bonfire. And uh, little Jacob has been a little challenging for me. He's about 13, and you know, um, he comes from a different background and has a need for love. His mother's a drug addict, and he doesn't know where she's at. Um, Jacob doesn't know who his father is. Um, <laughs> Jacob was living with his grandmother. Last March, she died of cancer. And so they took little Jacob and his brothers and they now live with uh, aunt and uncle who can barely provide for their needs. And so, so I obeyed the Lord, okay, and I started pouring love into this boy. But here's where it gets ugly. Is, uh, I was doing it because the Lord called me to do it, but my heart was not connected. I was obeying God. I was going through the motions for the last year. And as I was preparing for this message and I was praying for some other people that were struggling, the Lord began to put a love in my heart for Jacob. <laughs> and is still doing so. <laughs> but the ugliness of my heart and I realize that it's a process. Okay, you guys with me? Sometimes you have to obey just because the Lord tells you to obey, right? And sometimes the feelings and emotions and the, and the, the desire changes. But what's going on right now is there's a different love that's starting to develop in my heart for this young boy. Where I'm starting to see him as the Lord sees him. And no longer is he, oh God, forgive me, something that I have to do every two weeks, or a bother, or wow, what's he going to want, want, want out of me now? Because when you're in poverty, you think that when somebody's not in poverty, that they'll buy everything that you want. And that's not what I do. <laughs> But the Lord is beginning to change my heart 
in loving people the way he loves them. And so, in that, then the Lord began to convict me, even in the church and other relationships, so many times, the task at hand, we'll give, I'll give you an example, with what Denny Kramer spoke over my life, help people clean their lives up, all of a sudden it becomes a task to help people clean their lives up, rather than you seeing them through the eyes of love. It becomes a duty or a task to help someone clean their life up rather than it being motivated out of love and deep compassion. So there's been some repenting. <laughs> there's been some, God, I'm sorry. But it's been more of this. God, give me your heart. Lord, open my eyes. I want to see you and what you love and what people look like to you. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? Yes. And so, you can do the right things and have clean water for Africa. But if you've missed the face of the person... What reward will there be? If I adopt or send money for the children in Mozambique, one of the poorest nations in the world but, I, world, but I don't see that little girl's eyes. And I don't see the value that God so loved the world that he gave himself. Then I miss it. I miss the whole purpose. For the last year, I've missed the purpose of why I have Jacob in my life. I've complained a little bit. <laughs> but that is changing. Can I have an amen on that? And I know many of you are in that same place. You're doing some of the right things. And you're obeying the Lord. And I'm, what I'm saying is God is trying to take us and he's trying to change our motivations. And yes, some of the tasks and the duties and the things we do for Christ are good. But he's now wanting to change the motives of our heart. And he's wanting us to create a culture of love and compassion that comes from his heart and not out of the task. Do you hear me? And so today, it's a day of reviewing our motivations and saying, God, change my heart. <laughs> That's what I've been doing over the last couple weeks. Change my heart, because there's parts of it that are black. <laughs> so what does a disciple do? Or who is a disciple? He's one who follows Christ in your head. Yes, you say yes and leave, follow him. That head goes into your heart, and you begin to change and be changed by Christ, and your heart's changed. And the third part of a definition of a disciple is one who is committed to Jesus' mission, to save and disciple people. <laughs> Everyone in this room, we fall short in some aspect of that, don't we? We know that. I don't have to point that out. You're already convicted. I'm convicted. The question is, is what are you going to do about the conviction? I've been asking 
God to change my heart. I've been asking God to forgive me for not having compassion for people. I've been asking him to give me his heart. So whether it comes to deliverance, healing, helping someone clean their lives up, that it's all motivated out of love. I think we've been set up by the Lord, don't you? Would you stand with me? If we could have the sound team, if you wouldn't mind, put on a little music. We're going to give you opportunity to deal with the Holy Spirit right now. If you need help with that, we'll have the altar team, if you wouldn't mind. Altar team coming up. would close your eyes with me just for a moment I want to ask you a question are you a disciple are you a follower of Jesus Christ are you allowing Jesus to change you on the inside are you committed to his mission Here's the big question. <laughs> I hope your eyes are closed. Do you love the lost? Do you think about the lost? Holy Spirit, deal with our hearts. follow you, Jesus. We invite you to change our hearts right now. That you would put love inside of our hearts for the lost and your mission. If you're here and you feel like you need to repent and confess to him, You can do that in your seat. You can do it at the altar. We won't bother you. But can we ask God this morning to soften our heart hearts and to give us a heart for the lost? Can we ask him to begin to do surgery on our hearts? Every one of us, when we walked into this building, there's a picture of about five or six hearts on the sound booth wall. They become such a fixture of this place that nobody even notices them any longer. Some of those are stony hearts. But Jesus says, if you'll give me your heart, I'll make you have a heart of flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will change your heart if you'll just give it to me. <laughs> and so I pray today that you will do business with the Spirit of God. For me, I've had to confess and repent all week for having the wrong attitude, 
as the Lord has exposed me, as I've asked him to change me. So just take the time right now, and let's just quietly pray before the Lord. Let's ask him to change our hearts, to give us his heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, not only convict us, but take us someplace. Take us someplace. Renew our minds, God. Help us to see what you love. Help us to begin to see people differently and to love what you love. May the faces of the people that are around us, God, begin to change. And may we see them differently. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Change us this week, God, as we go study 2 Corinthians. As we make that scripture a part of our lives where we are ministers of reconciliation. God, I ask that you burn it deep in our hearts. Help us to see people differently. Forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us, God, for our kingdoms of ourself. And Lord, transform us this week as we surrender and yield to you and follow you and are changed by you and are committed to your mission, oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want prayer, feel free to come up to the altar team. But I pray today as you leave, you'll see your waitress differently. <laughs> I pray you'll see your family differently. I'm going to a birthday party in Indianapolis, and my mother-in-law does not know Christ. And I'm going to offer her the ministry of reconciliation because I love her and I love what he loves. God bless you in the name of Jesus. We love you.